if you'll turn to the catechism section of your hymnals. I think it's page 871 is uh, where we are at. Yep, page 871. We're up to question 29 this evening. And if you keep that page handy, we will look at some scripture as well. But if you sort of keep that page handy, we'll sort of refer to it as we kind of get our bearings as to where we're at in the catechism. And um, as we enter a new section here, or at least a new subsection. So question 29, and then I'll be reading from Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7 will be our our key uh, theme verse as we dive in. So let me read the question 29 and then join me in the answer. How are we made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ? We are made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ by the effectual application of it to us by his Holy Spirit. And then Titus uh, 3, verses 4 through 7, read this way. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Uh, Let me pray for us as we dive in. Uh, God, would you please add your understanding? Would you enlighten our eyes uh, to see your work in redemption and in our lives? Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we come to a new section here, and to to get us thinking about it, Think about when, if you're married, or you can think about your parents, if you have parents. Um, uh, It's common for someone to ask, you know, how did you and your spouse meet? You know, tell me the story of how you guys met. And and they might mean like a cute story of literally when you met. uh, Or they might mean kind of tell me your story. How How did these two lives come together in this big world with a ton of people? How are you two married, <laughs> right? Um, and it's sort of a fun thing to talk about um, and to hear about. And as you uh, do so, usually there's some sense of wonder that two people could have been brought together in this sort of whole wide world. Um, and, and often there's a lot of factors that, um, of course, you could focus on decisions that the couple made. You know, I, I, someone told me about the, my future spouse and I went and asked them on a date. And so there's very active things they did. But if you start to peel back the layers, you realize there's a lot that happened that had nothing to do with the couple that laid the foundation for them meeting uh, and laid the foundation for their future marriage, Uh, whether maybe their parents or grandparents moved across the country for a job before they were born, right? They had nothing to do with that, and yet they wouldn't have met their spouse otherwise, at least uh, humanly speaking, uh, or took a job in the town where they ended up meeting or bought a house right down the street, um, uh, in the case of Amy and myself, um, uh, or ended up going to the same church, right? Uh, There's different decisions that were made outside of the couple that that lead to it. As we come to question 29 of the catechism, uh, we're going to start a new section where it really dives into and and sort of puts an x-ray lens on what happens when someone comes to believe in Jesus. Uh, What does it mean that God calls them and that they respond and that he changes their hearts and justifies them? And so we're going to look at that. But right here in question 29, the focus is and, and throughout, of course, is on God's work. But right here, it shows all that has happened uh, before, in some sense, the person is even aware of it, that brings about 
of redemption uh, in Christ for us. And so to understand this, we'll, we'll dive into our question for this evening and sort of set the stage. We'll do a little bit of that next week as well as we go to question 30, Lord willing, or two weeks from now, sorry. Uh, but let's get our bearings in the catechism. Uh, so if you have page 871 in front of you, um, you can see what we've covered so far. Um, and just to sort of be reminded, page 869, you can go all the way back to the very first question. Uh, questions one through three sort of are an introduction to the catechism, asking what's our chief end, and our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And then we know that we only learn that from Scripture, uh, ultimately. Um, and then we start a section. Uh, basically, the catechism is then broken up into two sections. What man is to believe concerning God? Questions 4 through 38. We're still in that. And then what duty God requires a man? Questions 39 through, is there 107 or 106? I should know these things. 107. So those are the two big sections within our smaller section. But what are we supposed to believe concerning God? We've, questions 4 through 6, we talked about Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, Then questions 7 through 38, which we're still in, uh, talk about the decrees of God and his works of creation, his works of providence. He's in charge. He he, he controls all things. He sustains all things. And then questions 12 through 38, which we're in right now, especially talking about God's covenant with man. The covenant of works we looked at with Adam, uh, uh, not verses, questions 12 through 19. And now we're right in the midst of the covenant of grace, questions 20 through 38. And if you look at question 20, uh, we saw that we had this section that because uh, remember all those questions about the fall and sin and the punishment it deserved, we had that wonderful question 20, did God leave all mankind to perish in this estate of sin and misery? And of course the answer is no, he did not. Uh, he sent to us a savior, a redeemer, uh, Jesus Christ. Question 21 tells you who this is. Uh, the only redeemer is the, our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and then there's a whole section on, on who Jesus is as fully God, fully man. And then question 23 started us on what did he do? What's, what's, what is the work of Christ? What are, what are his offices of prophet, priest, and king? Both in his humiliation through his death on the cross, his time in the grave. And then we saw last week his exaltation as he was resurrected, ascended, sat down at the right hand of the Father, and will come again. And that leads us to where we're at now. So there's been all this emphasis on who God is, who Jesus is, what Jesus did in redemption. Now question 29 um, is sort of moving li- quite literally to application. Uh, how are we made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ? Okay, you've told me that Christ has done all these amazing things. He's died for the sins of his people. Now what? How are we made partakers of this? And the answer that question 29 gives, we are made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ by the effectual application of it to us by his Holy Spirit. And so as we enter this uh, new section, uh, one way of talking about it is we've been talking about our redemption, our salvation, as being something accomplished. Jesus accomplished it. But we're going to see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit accomplished it. Now we're talking about redemption applied to the believer. Um, And, of course, John Murray has a wonderful book called Redemption Accomplished and Applied, which I would commend to you. Uh, But we're going to start to talk about redemption 
uh, applied. Just like that couple who, who loves to look back over old pictures and think fondly of all the things that led to them even meeting in the first place. Uh, so we as believers love now to meditate on all that, that really the Trinity has done in accomplishing salvation for us. So as we, as we come into this then, we'll just look very briefly at um, redemption accomplished, sort of looking back and leading us right up to this moment. And what I want to show you is that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, uh, have key roles to play in our redemption. And so um, let's take them one at a time. Uh, the Father. There's different ways we could talk about this, but just to just to keep it simple tonight, the, the Father chooses a people for himself. Now, he does more things than that. And, and certainly Christ also chooses and loves us and, so we're not trying to say that, you know, they're totally separate, but especially Scripture talks about the Father chooses a people for himself. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6 says that he, he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And then John six thirty seven. remember Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Uh, you hear sort of implied in there that as, as Jesus uh, willingly underwent his humiliation of being born, right? He was with the Father from all eternity because he is God. Um, and, and there's a sense in which before time, the Father and the Son, and of course we know the Spirit as well, uh, it's, it's as if they conspired together. They, they uh, to put it provocatively, they cooked up a plan of salvation before time even existed, and the Father had a people for the Son to come and die for. So Jesus says, all the Father has given me will come to me, right? And we even talk about a covenant between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, before time. So the Father especially chooses a people. Uh, the Son then purchases or redeems a people. Purchases or redeems a people. These are synonyms, similar words. Hebrews 9.12 says he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Or Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Uh, one author, as I was reading, points to the fact that the word redemption literally speaks to a, a purchasing, a buying out of slavery. Um, and so if you if you picture the ancient world, although obviously even in our modern world with uh, with uh, trafficking that happens, uh, imagine someone who's enslaved, someone else who comes um, and is able to offer up a price sufficient uh, that the person is let go, is, is freed, uh, is freed out of their slavery. Uh, they were under bondage. They were uh, according to the will of the person over them. Now for us, it's not Egypt or it's not a certain uh, government, it's slavery to sin and death itself. Uh, remember that a state of sin and misery that we were in, it's like we were slaves and we could only do what we were enslaved to. And at that point, we liked only doing what we were enslaved to. But Jesus came, redeemed us, paid the cost, freed us, and therefore purchased. Again, the Father chooses a people, Jesus purchases a people. A scripture will talk about being purchased by the blood of Christ. We belong to him now. 
so that we're free, but we're free because we're slaves of God. We're slaves of righteousness. We have a new master, a good master. So the father chooses, the son purchases or redeems a people, and now the spirit applies salvation to a people. So the father chooses, the son purchases, now the the spirit especially, although the whole trinity is involved, obviously, but the spirit especially, and that's why this section of the catechism is amazing because now we start to really zoom in and say, what's the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer? Um, from uh, from before conversion to conversion to onward. And, and, and we see then, uh, Charles Hodge puts it this way, we might as well strike from the Bible the name and doctrine of God as the name and office of the Spirit. In the New Testament uh, shown, uh, he is mentioned not far from 300 times. The work of the Spirit in applying the redemption of Christ is represented to us as essential as the redemption itself. It is therefore indispensable that we should know what the Bible teaches concerning the Holy Spirit, both as to his nature and his office, uh, right? Just as we've spent so much time talking about Christ, who he is, his person, his, his role, his office, so now we, we focus on the Holy Spirit. And, of course, we saw that in our theme verse in Titus 3, 4 through 7, um, especially when it says, by the washing of regeneration and, re- and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Or remember the Gospel of John again, John 3, 3. Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he specifies John 3, 5. Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Right? Remember, in some ways it seems puzzling to us at first when Jesus tells his disciples, it's actually better that I leave you. It's better that I die and ascend and, and go to my Father. And if you were one of the disciples, what would you protest with? No, we, know, we love you, Jesus. Why would you go? But he really means, Jesus really means, it is better that I go because the Spirit pouring out on the church is, is what brings about salvation for the church and actually continues to bring Christ to us. When Jesus says, I'm with you always to the end of the age, uh, it's through his Spirit especially that, that he is. Um, and of course, the Father as well, and so and, and so we rightly call that the time that we're in the age of the Spirit, not because it's not the age of the Father and the Son. It is Jesus is King. <laughs> we serve the Father, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or God. And yet, when we think of redemptive history, we're we're now in this time when the Holy Spirit has been outpoured in a way uh, that the Old Testament saints would have longed for this day. And so He applies salvation to us. We're going to see that. Ephesians 1 speaks of him sealing it to us. Um, In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Right? We've talked about living in this now and the not yet. We've received salvation, and yet we're waiting the day when, when Christ would conquer his enemies and do away with sin. While we're right in that in-between time, the Spirit himself is like a, like a seal, both putting God's name on us, like a, a seal on a letter would be, right? Like the wax seal, authenticating us, but also a seal in the sense of, of holding us fast, uh, preserving us, keeping us, so that salvation comes to its full fruition. So in the weeks to come, we're going to see especially the work of the Spirit in calling, regenerating, converting us. But for now, notice that... Um, 
the Trinity is all involved in accomplishing and then applying salvation to us. The Father chooses, elects a people in love, in Christ, before time. Christ comes willingly, is humiliated, dies for a people, and is exalted for a people. Uh, the Spirit um, then comes and applies that salvation, especially in the life of the believer. Redemption was accomplished by God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's right that the next section of the Catechism, then, we focus on the Holy Spirit. And so let me just hopefully, Lord willing, whet your appetite for the weeks to come. Um, uh, we're going to get into now redemption applied, and I want to just give you the bird's eye view so that you know where we're heading in really these next, um, all the way up to question, you know, question 40 or so, question 38. Um, these next questions are going to deal with what, what happens when salvation's applied to a believer, uh, both from before, during the time, and, and, and into eternity. And what, what we see here is, has been called uh, the Ordo Salutis, which is Latin for the order of salvation. And, and so don't worry if, uh, if you're a note taker, we'll be spending so much time on these. But just as a bird's eye view, we're going to see what's called effectual calling. He calls his people. He chose them. He calls them to himself. That's number one. Number two, we're going to see regeneration where our hearts are changed, where we're able to hear that call and receive that call. Number three, we're going to see what has been called conversion. We're converted. We're changed uh, in two parts, in, in faith and repentance, right? What did Jesus say? Uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so we'll cover both of those. Number four, we'll look at justification. And we'll be talking about that next month as well in the morning service. Number five, sanctification. So we're justified once for all, but then he's changing us more and more to be like Christ. And number uh, six, I believe, uh, perseverance, that we persevere to the end because of his work in us. And then finally, glorification, that we'll be glorified with him. And so next week, we'll, we'll ask this question. How does the Spirit apply to us the redemption purchased by Christ? Uh, the Spirit applies to us the redemption purchased by Christ by working faith in us and thereby uniting us to Christ in our effectual calling. And I read that ahead because over all of those, I think I gave you seven, sort of the order of salvation, but it doesn't really have a number. Over all of them, I, in my notes, I write it on the side. I know Marilyn might like this because I know you like visual kind of notes. That So you have the numbers, and then on the side written is union with Christ. Um, in Christ, being united with Christ sort of permeates all of those steps. Because remember, even the choosing that we talked about in Ephesians, when it says God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So even his choosing of us was in Christ, let alone our calling and regeneration, all of it is in Christ, is our union with him. So we're, we're actually later, Lord willing, going to look at a larger catechism question, 66, um, which asks, what is union with Christ? And so we're going to spend time there. It's such a good key doctrine that we need to understand. And so this really is an amazing section. I hope uh, you come back in a couple weeks here. I think jam session next week will, will be. Um, and then in a few weeks, we'll jump back into question 30. But 
for now, at the end of the day, um, the takeaway that we have here is um, redemption was accomplished by the Father, Son, Holy Spirit before you were even born, right? And as one way that we picture this, we we think of um, our covenant children who are baptized when they're infants uh, before uh, they can remember. And and there's something beautiful about this. There's certainly something beautiful like um, others who have been baptized later in life, like myself or others, um, where there's an awareness of that before and after the baptism. So the Bible gives us both. But the beauty of a covenant infant baptism is, um, you know, when I talk to Rowan and I, I'll, I'll often talk to her and say, do you remember that you were baptized? And she'll, she'll sometimes tell me she remembers it, <laughs> which is good. Um, but I, it, I think we've even watched a video of it. But this idea that God's name was placed upon her when she couldn't even speak a word. Um, uh, there was nothing she could have done uh, to earn that. Uh, and now she's called upon to believe in the same God whose name has been put upon her. And we pray that one day it'll be very evident that she's put her faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, but e- even just that is just this picture of, of the wealth of, uh, it, 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 it's like when you see a believer, it's like the tip of an iceberg. And have you seen those cross-section images where you see the rest of the iceberg under the water? And, and the rest of the iceberg under the water is, is the work of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit before time, and then in time, before you were born, and then as we'll see in this section, in the life of the believer, sort of behind the scenes as well. From beginning to end, it's a work of the Trinity. Um, what are, as we end our time here, just two reflections on why is this so important for us to think this way. Uh, one, uh, to humble us. Uh, to humble us. We're we're not smarter than or luckier than or nicer than or richer than or more righteous than uh, people we know who have not believed in Jesus. We would never say it that way. But sometimes in our, somewhere in our heart, we sort of believe that we had something they didn't have. And that's why God chose us. When Ephesians tells us he chose us in love in Christ before the foundation of the world, before we even existed. So this is meant to humble us in a good way. Uh, just like the, the loving couple that sort of thinks back and says, wow, like there's so many worlds where we never met. And yet you're my spouse and we've been married for many years and what a gift, right? Um, in the same way, we look back uh, on, on God's work in our life and, and are just amazed. And, and a lot of our hymns really capture this. So number one, it humbles us. Number two, it assures us. It assures us. And that's where the comfort is. Uh, Since it was not based on anything in us, since redemption was accomplished before I was even born, so that when I receive it, when I am adopted, when I am justified, I have no fear that something in me will compromise it. The one who chose me before the foundation of the world will bring it to completion, to glorification with Christ. And that assures us. It's not like we're going to get to step six and God's going to say, oh, no, I didn't think of that. No, he, he changes us from the inside out, as we'll see, through the work of the Spirit. That should assure us as we think of his work in our life. And so I, I pray that we'll see that in the weeks to come. Um, let, me, let me pray for us and then close with our benediction. Uh, God, we thank you for uh, the work of redemption, of salvation. 
Oh God, we will spend eternity singing of the lamb that was slain. We will never mind the depths of, of the amazing steadfast love that you have showed, especially in redeeming a people for yourself. We thank you that you, from beginning to end, you bring us all the way home through Christ. And I pray that as we reflect on that, as we go into the week, that would certainly humble us, but it would assure us, comfort us, that we know that we belong to a loving Father who loved us before time. And I pray that we would then live for you this week. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.